0: Good day, everybody. Welcome to Total Wellness Radio. Thank you once again for making us a part of your day. Today, we catch up with Lynn Thompson in Portland, Oregon. Lynn is a certified body talk practitioner. She's a speaker. She's also an Amazon best selling author of You Are Not Your Diagnosis. This was a wonderful interview. Having been misdiagnosed with leukemia herself, she knows all too well the tragedies of what can take place when modern medicine doesn't meet our needs. So sit back and enjoy this episode, episode 144, with Lynn Thompson on Total Wellness Radio. Well, good day, everybody. Welcome to Total Wellness Radio. This is episode 144, and today we are talking with Lynn Thompson. Lynn, did you make it on the line okay?
1: Yes, I did.
0: Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to do this. I really appreciate
1: it. Oh, I'm very excited to be here today.
0: Our listeners for Total Wellness Radio are going to be completely blown away. Lynn has got an amazing background, as you heard in the intro uh, to today's podcast, and uh, quite a diverse experiences in natural health. But I'll tell you, the thing I'm really excited about, Lynn, that you and I got to touch on briefly before today's interview was the fact that there's a specific catalyst that took place in your life that really put you on this path to natural health and i really want you to take as much time as you're comfortable with in sharing with our listeners what what actually happened with you on that
1: sure certainly So my story begins when I was in graduate school, and I had gone to graduate school pursuing a PhD in history straight out of college. And looking back on it now, I think I was scared to be what I perceived a grown-up, so I thought going to graduate school was less scary. I know to some people (laughs) that seems odd, but the way way my brain worked was like, I'm really good at being a student. Let's just keep being a student and, and keep pursuing this. And um, so as soon as I got into that program back in 2001, I immediately kind of felt like I was out of place. I, I was thrown into becoming a teaching assistant and not really given very many resources for that. Um, I was these classes where I was reading these ginormous books each week, like 500 pages for each class a week. Um, And all of my cohort seemed really excited about everything. And I didn't feel like I was very excited. It was a complete different experience than my undergraduate experience. And I started developing kind of some milder symptoms at the time. I felt like I was having some anxiety and depression. I started getting migraine headaches again. I had had them when I was a teenager and I had gotten them pretty under control by that point. And I kind of had that knowing inside, like, I think I'm in the wrong place, but I was still too scared to say, I don't really know what I want to do, but I can go out and get a job and be a grown up. So I continued in this process for about three years and three years into the process, I was scheduled in the the summer of 2004 to have elective surgery and went in for the pre-op blood work, got a phone call from the surgeon the night before, and he said, there's something that looks abnormal about your blood work. And of course Mm -hmm. my heart started to race, you know, because I, it was a totally elective surgery. There was, it was nothing wrong. Um, I was just choosing to have the surgery. And he said, now don't panic right yet. You know, let's have you go back to the lab, make sure it wasn't a lab error because those do sometimes happen. Sure. And so I go back to the hospital that night, have the tests run again. And he calls me and he says, yeah, it's not a lab error. There is something seriously off in your blood work. We can't do the surgery. He didn't really say anything much more than that, other than we're canceling the surgery. Go to your primary doctor as soon as you can. Oh, wow. And so it was like the beginning of being thrown down kind of this rabbit hole of, you know, I feel fine. What the heck is wrong with me?
0: And don't you feel that that could have been handled a little bit different in terms of better quality communication with you?
1: I I certainly think, you know, um, maybe trying to ease a little bit of the anxiety would have been helpful because I had no clue at that moment what was going on, what was wrong. Um, You know, trying to communicate in a way that didn't provoke maybe quite the same amount of anxiety would have (laughs) been helpful.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I just find it fascinating. And I know. I don't want to interrupt your story because you got a flow to it, but I just want to make this comment because you're touching on something that is so important. And we hear so much about this and that is that it's almost like there's this indifference towards you and that your emotions have anything to do with the quality of your health. So we don't have to communicate in a meaningful way or, I mean, it's just, it's just really, it's absolutely bizarre to me that there's not a higher level of importance placed on good communication when you're delivering potentially you know very stressful news to patients
1: right and then of course it's late at night and I'm like and now I'm supposed to go to sleep (laughs) you know like I can't get any more information until at least tomorrow until I can you know schedule hopefully with my primary and it's like well something is going wrong your blood work looks extremely abnormal and goodbye
0: (laughs) so you're uh, so now you're you feel like you're being sent down this emotional rabbit hole what 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 takes place next
1: So I think the next day I did get in to see my primary doctor and he ran more labs and said, you know, I'll be back in touch as soon as we get the results. Again, there was not a whole lot of clarity on what was going on, you know, what, what we were testing for at this point, I was just like, okay, you're running blood tests. And, and I still have a big question mark in front of me. And next thing I knew about a day or two later, I get a phone call from a specialist that I had never met or heard of. And he said, you know, I've reviewed your blood work that Dr. So-and-so did. And he asked me to, you know, get in touch with you. How are you feeling right now? And I'm like, completely panicked, (laughs) if I'm honest with you, you know, like to get a phone call from somebody you don't know. And he was a gastroenterologist. And so that gave me A little bit of a clue of what might be going on sure and he said well you know if you're not showing any symptoms right now you can stay home today tonight and come to the hospital tomorrow and check in and i'll meet you there but if you show any symptoms of anything tonight please just come to the hospital i was like Okay, what am I supposed to be looking for again? Yeah, kind of, this, yeah. <laughs> you know, am I going to just like start like bleeding from you know some orifice? <laughs> am I, you know, like what's going to happen? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what should I be worried about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I kind of spent a very freaked out night, really observing my body, very probably under a microscope, and you know, nothing seemed abnormal at that point. So I go to the hospital the next day, check in. And he meets me there, and he explains at that point a little bit of what they think is going on. And they thought at that point that I had clotted off the portal veins that drain the liver. Ooh. And so hearing that, of course, you're like, "Well, that's not supposed to happen," you know. And, and most people, at least, know the liver's kind of important. I don't think I want to have that <laughs> clotted off. Yes. You know, and he said, so we're pretty clear that that's what's going on. But the bigger issue is why, like, why did this happen? Because that shouldn't just happen in the body. And so he said, I'm going to have, you know, this colleague of mine, this hematologist come in and he's going to, you know, start doing some more tests and try to figure out the cause. And so then it went through this process of, you know, another doctor coming in who was horrible. I mean, that's a, a huge other part of the story. He did a bone marrow biopsy and told me, you'll just fear, feel some pressure. It it won't really hurt. And I was like, that was not my experience at all. I screamed oh my, my head gosh. off. You know, and it left me feeling like, well, have you ever had this done to you? How do you know? It just feels like some pressure. Oh,
0: geez. Well, because they do it on cadavers.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, maybe (laughs) they should actually have to do it on each other. Yeah,
0: they should. You know what? You're bringing up an excellent point. I think they should have to do all their procedures on each other before they do it to another human being.
1: Because he and then he had he was like kind of freaked out by the fact that I had screamed my head off. Like there was not really much empathy after that or sympathy. There was just Mm. kind of like this. Okay, well, we're going to have to do this again at a later date with medication and, and kind of like. And you're kind of weird for having screamed like that. Mm. And so at, kind of at that point, they also started looking to, into transferring me to a major medical center because at the time I was living in Santa Barbara. So it was a decent sized hospital, but it certainly wasn't like, you know, a university style hospital. Right. And eventually I got transferred up to San Francisco, to UC San Francisco, to continue this process because they, they kind of also needed to get the portal veins open back up. And nobody at the hospital where I was had had any experience with doing that with Kind of balloons and kind of like they do with hearts um like kind of like that angiogram type of idea same thing can be done for the liver but they're Mm like we really want to send you someplace where somebody's actually done this before and i'm like i do appreciate that (laughs) yeah you know so the the rest of the diagnostic process and the um final diagnosis was actually made up in san francisco okay and so it was, I think I was up in San Francisco for about 10 days and mm-hmm. more poking, more prodding, getting the, the veins open. And finally, um, the hematologist that was the head of my team there came in and, and told me that the diagnosis they had arrived at was chronic myelogenous leukemia. Okay. Okay. And that was, I call it kind of like a nuclear bomb in the hospital room, you know, was like went from feeling like before this, nothing was wrong. You know, I felt healthy other than anxious, depressed, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of more emotional symptoms to having a belly that had swelled up because of the liver and, um, you know, being given this scary diagnosis. Yes. And so I was treated for that for three years, um, consistently saying, you know, I don't really feel right. I don't really feel like I'm improving. Um, mm-hmm. and nobody and, wanted to listen to me.
0: And when you, and when you say treated Lynn, do you mean like standard, you know, modern medical approaches of like chemo radiation surgeries? What, when, when you say treated Treat, for that, for what did careers, it look like? Yeah.
1: So for that particular type of leukemia, at that point, they had developed a medication. So I was super relieved that I didn't have to go through chemo and radiation because that terrified me or the idea of a bone marrow transplant. And thankfully, I didn't go through all of those things because it was actually not the correct diagnosis.
0: Oh, wow. Uh,
1: But I was taking this medication that was kind of a new drug, very expensive, Yep. And had some not-so-fun side effects of pretty much a lot of nausea all the time. Um, Wasn't especially... it just
0: a form of oral chemo?
1: It was. I was told it was to target the genetic abnormality, um, yeah. Gen- specifically. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, oral chemo. Okay.
1: Yep. So, you know, and whenever I would say I'm having trouble, like, you know, with my meals and my stomach, nobody really gave me much suggestion other than, well, here's how to try to time the pill with how you're eating. And I'm like, so you're not going to offer me anything else? You know, like it was, it was very kind of disheartening that a lot of the day-to-day symptoms really weren't taken into account.
0: Yeah. I can tell just by you accounting the story for our listeners that that there's a, still quite a bit of an emotional attachment you know what I mean i mean it's
1: mm-hmm. it's just
0: not easy for you to talk about and i know that one of your you know in your career achievements is that you're a, you're a, you're a professional speaker and you speak a lot of, to people do you find when you're speaking that they give you similar feedback, like what you're sharing with our listeners right now, that of their experiences.
1: I definitely do. I mean, I have clients, and I've had people that have heard my story, whether whether I'm speaking or you know, people who've read my book, and and they say I so resonate. Like this, your story is kind of my story, and you know, mm. a slightly different key. You know, it's like it may not be leukemia, but there's always something with you know, chronic illness that really resonates with the medical system and how doctors communicate, uh, yeah. how mistakes get made because unfortunately yeah. they're more common than we kind of think about on a daily basis. I
0: know. I know. So you go through the standard treatment, you're doing the oral medication approach three years into this. What, 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 what now, what, 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 what are you doing next or what takes place that gets you out of this, this merry-go-round thing?
1: So it was kind of after about a year into it that I started exploring alternative medicine. So that was where that part of my journey really began. I kind of was like, okay, this, yeah, I'm going to keep taking this medication, but just taking this and living with it is not really what I want to do for the rest of my years. I mean, I was only in my mid twenties. Mm -hmm. And so I got really curious, started exploring a whole bunch of holistic and alternative treatments. And I also kind of after that three years and after not being heard, because I went back to that original doctor who did the bone marrow biopsy, and he was my my kind of following doctor, who I hated, sure. couldn't get a new doctor because I kept mm. having to ask for a referral from my primary. And he was like, well, we went to medical school together. He was great. I'm like, hmm he spends three minutes with me, and he doesn't yeah. listen to me. So, no, not isn't so that great. unfortunate?
0: It's very unfortunate that the title doesn't make the person; the person makes the title. But yet, medical doctors think if they're M.D.s, they're all equal and the same in terms of their professionalism, their empathy, and compassion. And what you just said proves otherwise.
1: Yep, because literally, I, I remember in almost every appointment, he would say well, how are you feeling? And I would say, I feel awful. You know, my energy is horrible. I'm having this this, this side effect, this symptom. And he'd be like, well, you look great. I'll see you in a month. I'm like, wow. why did you even ask me how I feel then if you're not even gonna receive that information and acknowledge it?
0: Wow. Because the biggest complaint I get in my practice on a, on a regular basis with new clients is that their account, their experience to some degree is exactly mirroring what you're sharing right now.
1: And I think it's all too common. It's just like, you know, they feel like maybe they have to ask that question of like, how are you feeling? But they really don't care. Some doctors do. I've had some that definitely take that into account, but there's a good percentage that it's like, and it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm going to still keep looking at all of the scientific pieces. And, you know, he was actually looking at labs for the wrong thing because I never had that particular diagnosis. Yet, you know, everything looked good because there was some sort of lab error in the initial diagnosis.
0: Oh, my gosh. So you start uh, investigating how to uh, regather your health in a safe way, uh, Mm -hmm. in a more effective way.
1: And, you know, in a more supportive way with practitioners that really listen to me. Correct. And I also, you know, did a lot of kind of work with therapy and starting to realize, you know, I was miserable in what I was doing with my life and that needed to change. Mm -hmm. And as I stepped out of that and stepped out of being in that grad school situation, um, that was when I actually got different insurance and a different primary doctor, and when I could actually get a referral to a different hematologist, so yeah. it kind of all went together. You know, I had to let go of the thing that I had been holding on to for so many years because I was scared um, of what the unknown meant, what the future was, and once I did that, it was like as soon as I saw this new doctor, he looked at I brought probably you know a two inch thick stack of medical records to him from the past oh few God. years oh he, looked through, he flipped through it he looked at it and he's like I don't think this is chronic myelogenous leukemia and wow. I was like and why could nobody have seen that before when I kept questioning and questioning
0: Hmm. so what was his uh, evaluation what is what is his uh looking at your records determine what is what does he come up with
1: so looking at the records and then doing some more testing, because of course, that's the way the medical system works, right? We have to do more diagnosis, yep. more diagnostic yep. tests. Yep. Um, the the correct diagnosis was polycythemia vera, which is another type of blood disorder. Okay. And treated differently because it means all of the cell counts are too high. So my body produces too much red cells, white cells, and platelets. So the blood okay. is like really thick. Gotcha. And as soon as I started being treated for the correct issue, uh, like my health started improving significantly. Yes. yes. Okay. And, you know, that was a, a huge part of the the journey. And I'm very grateful to that particular doctor for hearing me, seeing me, listening. You know, when yes. I had spent three years trying to, like, scream at people, hello.
0: I love what you just said. Hear, listen, and, and see. <laughs> <laughs> That's 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 wise words for all medical doctors. Hopefully, this uh, gets in the hands of some folks that could use uh, better quality education. To listen to your listen to your clients, hear what they're saying, and see them for what's really going on.
1: Right, because they're <laughs> the one that's are, that are in their body for twenty four seven. So what they're reporting to you is often very useful information. It's not yeah. Just- but-
0: noise (laughs) yeah believe it or not this is something we should be paying attention to (laughs) yes (laughs) so now you've uh you've you've had your own personal journey obviously this is a very has been a real challenging thing for you to investigate and explore and come up with you know better options for you finding other practitioners and so forth so when did you decide that hey i am going to take my own personal experiences and actually turn them into into more of a career for yourself. When what when did that transition kind of unfold for you?
1: The transition kind of happened about 2006 2007. So as okay. I actually it's very funny to me <clears throat> as I let go of kind of holding on to the graduate school experiences like this life raft and this anchor for myself, the really was probably drowning me in a way. Sure. Um, and as I explored all of these alternative treatments and I went out and I actually was like, okay, I'm stopping this program. I'm going to go get a job. My only requirement for said job is that it has health insurance because that mm-hmm. is the key criteria for me right now so that I can leave this graduate school program and, you know, be covered. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I did that, I realized one day I was actually in a biofeedback session And I was sitting there, you know, during the session. And I kind of went, I could see myself, like, sitting in that other chair, like, learning how to do this and helping people. Wow. Yeah, it was, like, as I heal myself. Because I I kind of at that point was, like, I still, I I could tell there's a journey still that needs to happen that I need to get to a better place for myself before I can help anyone else. But Mm -hmm. it was, like, an inspiration to kind of. Wow, maybe this is something that I could be passionate about and want to do.
0: So, what do you what do you find today now since two thousand six in that area, you know, to present the last twelve years? What do you find to be like the most exciting thing about your career?
1: Um, I just love seeing the the transformations that happen for my clients. I mean, I work a lot with people with chronic health conditions. Um, autoimmune is kind of one of the areas that I see a lot of clients. And just, it's so exciting to see people being able to either go off of medications or reduce the amount of medications and then have a better quality of life. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not tied to these pills that probably most of the side effects are worse than the problem or as bad Mm -hmm. as the problem. Mm -hmm. Or
0: just compound the problem.
1: Exactly. Or give you some more, you know, other things that you need to deal with. So, you know, I, I'm not completely anti-medication, but I truly think that when people can reduce or eliminate things that they don't need, it's, it's sure. to the body's benefit and our health's 100%. benefit.
0: 100%. You know, your story reminds me of a, of a, a lady uh, in, in history, too. Uh, she wrote a book, Knockout, Suzanne Summers. Did you? Did that, did that ever come across your radar at all?
1: No, it hasn't, but I'll have to check that out.
0: You need to pick up the book. And for our listeners, it's a great read. Suzanne Summers. for those of you that might remember, she played Chrissy on Three's Company as a sitcom on television mm-hmm. years and years ago. And she kind of played, uh, you know, at, in that sitcom arena, that venue, she kind of played what would be referred to as a ditzy blonde, right? I mean, it's <laughs> kind of a labeling thing, but she... She and she played it very well. Well, to know her from her writing and from her lectures is to know that you're dealing with an exceptionally intelligent woman who has amazing experiences. And she was misdiagnosed also. Hmm. And she went on to write a book about it. um, And it's called it's uh, by Suzanne Summers. And the title of the book is called Knockout. And I encourage you to get, uh, you know, to maybe get a copy and and read it because I think it's she really and this is, uh, you know, several years ago now. But um you know it's just unfortunate that you know your uh your history your your path and hers uh, they remind me of each other quite a bit in terms uh-huh. of having read the book and and like that you know you you mentioned some of your accomplishments and we already kind of covered this in the intro to the podcast but you know you're certified in body talk as a pr- practitioner you do have a an amazon uh, best-selling book as a best-selling author you are not your diagnosis Mm-hmm. Um, you do speaking, uh, you can currently maintain a master's degree in, in psychology, specialized training in biofeedback, therapeutic yoga, and Reiki. I mean, you just got a really, a very nice, well-rounded energetic package, right. That you offer your clients. And, mm-hmm. and what I'd love to have you do is just spend a minute or two and kind of share for our listeners, for those that aren't familiar. And this goes for me as well. What is a certified body talk practitioner?
1: Sure. So body talk is a particular type of healing modality. It was created by a man named John Veltheim, who is still with us and is still kind of the leader of the body talk system. And it takes um, an approach that really looks at kind of the story behind the symptom. Basically, the idea is that our bodies are always communicating to us, but uh, they don't have words, you know, our yep, bodies can't yep. say over here, yep. there's a problem with this and or you're eating things that don't, you know, work for you, yep. whatever it is, the body can only talk in, you know, pain and other symptoms. And yes. when we get curious about, well, what is the story of that particular symptom or health issue or whatever it's somebody's seeking support with, then we can start to kind of unravel the thing. The body can actually start to heal itself because it's not yes. communicating that message to us.
0: Yes. Okay. So you're not treating symptoms. You're actually evaluating the cause and identifying the cause.
1: Yeah. it's really about getting to the root of, you know, what's, what's the heart of the issue. So you know my basic example that I always like to use is something simple, like a headache. There could be, you know, probably a hundred different reasons why somebody sure. has a headache and,
0: Absolutely.
1: and many approaches. It's just like, well, let's just make the headache go away with, you know, take medication or we have a headache protocol and we're more curious in body talk about, you know, is, is it reflecting like you're eating something that you're allergic to? Do you have some sort of structural issue going on, like maybe a vertebra out in your neck? Are you yes. dehydrated? Like what yes. is the story?
0: Yes, yes, yes. Very, very good. What do you yeah. find to be the most challenging aspect of working with clients?
1: Um, I don't I think sometimes having people completely understand because the model is very different. We're, we're so used to kind of a symptom based approach and talking about diagnosis. I mean, somebody could come in and just describe what's going on, not need a diagnosis. But often we're very attached to that, right? We're, oh, mm-hmm. I have this, it's this. Yeah. And just helping people really understand that it, it's really not about a diagnosis. It's about what is your body communicating? Like, it, it's a different paradigm.
0: Hence the title of your book, you are not your diagnosis. Yes. Yes. So who would you like to in this uh, in this uh, interview, who would you like to give credit for having the most influence on you and your in your path right now?
1: Hmm. Oh, that's so hard because there's just so many people. I mean, there there were so many people especially in those first couple of years that really supported me in a really deep way. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. like a, a yoga teacher who was just a key to me exploring yoga in a way I had seen yoga before is like, oh, you do it and you sweat and you work hard and you know, you stand on your head. And I was like, that doesn't resonate. <laughs> <laughs> and so this woman named Sherry Clamp, it was like, I went to her class actually at the recommendation of a therapist. Yeah. And just to, to have that experience of, most of the class was like on the floor with props under me. And I was like, wow, this is so different. Like it was amazing to just have that time to explore all of these different options that were out there that I had no idea even existed.
0: Yeah. What do you find to be your primary focus with clients? Do you, do you actually provide like certain products that you have for them? Is it service driven? Is it education combination? How do you, how do you primarily work with your clients?
1: I primarily work with clients in kind of a service-based approach using body talk and kind of other tools as they come in. And of course, I think the educational component is also huge. Like if somebody just keeps going back into their life and their lifestyle and doing the same thing repetitively, you know, you're going to still kind of stay in the same place. So um, I love to partner with other practitioners too. It's like, nutrition is huge, but it's not my wheelhouse. So sometimes gotcha. it's like, you know, you need to maybe work with a nutritionist to support the deeper issue of, you know, what are you fueling your body with or, you know, whoever kind of comes up as, as an adjunct support. I love to do that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you deliver these uh, services and education support to your clients? Do you do it like, like digitally? Is it, do you have an office uh, or do you like, travel and do you know seminars how, how are you delivering this to your clients
1: so I work with people in person I'm in the Portland Oregon area so I, I work there and I also can work with people virtually I don't really do things as much like kind of a digital like structured program it's it's in real time but I work with clients I mean I have a client that's in Europe I have clients in Canada and we just connect again through, you know, the power of all the tools we now have on on computers and the internet to be sure. able to, to meet in kind of a virtual space.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how we, our connection got started. I'm so glad it did.
1: Yes, me too.
0: Hey, let's, let's talk about some of the things. That, what are some of your directions and goals, things like in the future that you're going to be kind of focusing on? Can you kind of give us a little preview of some of the other things you're going to be doing with clients in the future, things you'll be offering?
1: Sure. So um, one of the things that I'm really excited about is this fall, I'm actually going to be offering a retreat, a small uh, group retreat for women at the Oregon coast.
0: And it's going to
1: be a beautiful three days, just kind of diving deep and having space for healing. Um, I've hired someone to come in and do all of the meals for the event, which is going to be so amazing. I mean, who doesn't love having someone cook for you? (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm really excited and the the house that we're going to be staying in and the, that's the space for this work is just it's beautiful. It's going to be a transformative experience.
0: Now, I uh, my father, Sam Young, who started Country Doctor in 1998, lives in Myrtle Creek, Oregon. Hmm. And I'm wondering whereabouts where uh, on the coast you say is it is it uh, going to be in the out of the Portland area that you guys are going to be doing this or like yeah. I know of Gold Coast, right? We and and uh, different uh, go uh, gold beach is what i'm thinking of um you know i go up to the coast and visit family we have reunions out there things of that nature so i'm just curious where that's going to be at
1: just a little bit north of um, lincoln city is okay. where we're gonna be awesome yeah
0: so if there was one thing lynn as we kind of start wrapping uh, kind of wrapping up the uh, the episode here if there's one thing that you would really want to make certain our listeners know what would that be
1: I think it's it's really goes with the title of the book that you know if you have a chronic diagnosis that's not your identity that's not who you are and that there are so many more possibilities for healing than western medicine really knows about. I mean most people think chronic illness means lifelong sometimes I call it life sentence or death sentence it's mm. not very fun. And I've seen people completely, you know, heal and transform or have way better quality of life than they ever imagined was possible. So there are so many possibilities that exist.
0: Well, well said. I really appreciate your words. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you, Lynn?
1: So you can find me online on my website, which is BodyTalkPortland.com.
0: And that's the best way for them to reach out
1: yeah there's um my my phone number is on the site on the contact page, so if you want to reach out and give me a call, that's a great way to find me
0: Lynn, I so appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate the fact that you turned your personal journey of you know terror <laughs> uh, It seems like i mean I could still hear the energy in your voice when you shared your story and you turned that into something so positive.
1: I, it, I believe things happened to us for a reason. And that was kind of what helped me moving through is that there was a bigger reason.
0: Let's be sure and do this again in the future, Lynn. I'd love to have you on. Let's, let's yeah. make a commitment right now that we'll do this again.
1: Yes, I would love to.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank so, to you. Yeah. For Lynn Thompson in Portland, Oregon, uh, this is Dan Young. Thank you so much again, all you listeners for tuning in and sharing the total wellness radio experience. Uh, Signing off for episode 144. Thank you. And we look forward to uh, having you tune in again. That will do it for Total Wellness Radio. Thank you once again for tuning in. And just to mention as a reminder, don't forget about our six-day mentorship program for practitioners who really want to thrive in the natural wellness industry and build a long-lasting, sustainable, prosperous business. We do a six-day hands-on immersion where for four days you follow me and my staff around. We see well over 120 people in clinical practice. Plus, we spend day five in the classroom putting your practice all together on paper in the practice creation form. And finally, day six, hands-on drilling with nutritional kinesiology, one of the most effective ways to evaluate a client's needs that there is today. So, for reaching out to us on that, just call me directly. 307-631-5300, the number 307-631-5300 for more information on our six-day mentorship program. And thank you once again for tuning in to Total Wellness Radio.